Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of the land on which we broadcast today. We pay our respect to the elders of all of the lands on which we meet across Australia. You're listening to Freedom of Species on 3CR Animal Advocacy. We're bringing animal advocacy to the airwaves. Sorry, it's the first time we've been live in quite a while. And I've got to relearn how to use the panel and how to do all this stuff. Uh, So I'm sorry if it's a little bit janky today, but we are going to try and get back into it. I am um, here with Caroline. Uh, another um, Freedom of Species uh, host, and I am Adam, of course. And Caroline, do you want to tell us a little bit about what we're going to be looking at today? And first off, I should, of course, thank Sally for another fantastic show of Out of the Pan. And absolutely make sure that you tune in next week um, where there's a... That's Sunday, the 27th of March, where there is a special Trans Day of Audibility, and that from 12 p.m. to 7 p.m. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole whole day is all about um, trans um, trans issues and trans um, voices on the air. And Sally is going to be doing a special show for Out of the Pan and there's going to be lots of great things happening. So we won't be on next week, um, yeah. but there's plenty of good stuff to listen to. So please make sure you still tune in uh, at the same time. Uh, 100%. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that next week. Yeah. Thanks, Adam. Well, after some chats that you and I had when we um, met up at the Geelong Rodeo protest a little while ago, we were talking about a range of um, animal documentaries and that there is this emerging trend um, in animal documentaries where the focus is really on the real lives of animals and that's quite encouraging. So it underscores that idea that non-human animals are unique individuals with feelings, relationships, goals, desires, and personalities. So I thought, why don't we talk about some of the films that we've seen and some of the other films that are out there, Um, and yeah, Yeah, let's do that. I I think that's a great great, um, thing to talk about. And I wonder if we can first provide some context about how animals might usually be presented in film. and in documentaries even. So, you know, I think it's clear that within the film industry, animals are often just a prop. They're yes. a prop that humans use. They either are ridden, like horses are often common common props in um, the film industry. And we hear stories of, uh, you know, bad things happening to horses and animals when they're being used by um, the film industry, which is always upsetting and always horrible. Um, and other commonly used animals in the film industry for entertainment 
uh, dogs are often mm-hmm. used. Mm-hmm. And again, we hear, I don't know if you remember, there was a, a show not long ago. It was a, it was a few years ago now. And it, I think it was trying to sort of present itself as um, really showing a dog's perspective. It might have been a dog's life or something like that. Or a, um, okay. it had a, had a really interesting name that you thought, oh, okay, they're going to really care about the dog. And then, and, and that's that's how they were trying to sell it and trying to present it. And then just before the film came out, there was this footage where they'd basically, um, there was, it was like a scene or something where the dog is fighting against rapids in this water mm. or fighting against the current in this water or getting washed down a river or something like that. And I just remember that it got it got canned really quickly because mm. um, you saw in this behind the scenes footage, someone chuck the, this dog into the water. The dog was clearly scared, mm. and then it's getting um, sort of washed down this waterway, which I think was just a setup, um, like a pool sort of thing, mm-hmm. with a current. And you could clearly see that this dog was sort of like stressed out, and it's uh, and. These animals are put in these situations just for our entertainment, mm. and although mm. we might um, think that we're we're presenting them and their lives, it's always from our perspective. Yes. We're trying to see yes. we're we're overlaying our ideas of the world and our ideas of what a quote good dog unquote is or yes. what a good horse is, but it's always in relation to us. Those horses. Yes. Um, are always part of the human's life, yes, right? They're yes. not just presented as horses for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't, I just can't even, I can't think of many movies that would just present the the animals um, for themselves. No, I can't either. So there's there's countless um, examples, like you've mentioned, of animals almost as a proper and accessory to another narrative. There's also a range of films in which a human is narrating what is happening and what this animal is experiencing. Mm. And that's documentary. Right. Yeah, do you want to... So right. I've just yeah. spoken about the um, sort of film industry. Do you want to sort of, yeah, explore that a little bit more from a documentary perspective? Well, I think there's many, many films where a situation or range of situations um, that animals experience are presented. So we may see them on film and a human is narrating um, their experience. And I mean, that can range from everything from, you know, David Attenborough documentaries where, you know, I think at least he is quite um, in tune with the species that he's speaking about to, um, you know, d- other other documentaries, I guess, as well. And, you know, there've been some positive representations, but I think what we're seeing now is the emergence of animals living their lives, essentially, mm. um, in, in, in positive and sometimes not so positive circumstances. Yeah. And, and that we don't need to speak for them or about them. Yeah. That's just unnecessary. Absolutely. And I think that that's a real, um, that's what's interesting to me, I think, is that if we look at these these documentaries in the past, and there's many of them, like you say, lots of David Attenborough documentaries and many others, you know, from the you know, the sens- almost sensationalist sort of 100 most deadly animals in the world, and then you mm-hmm. get some person with an exaggerated voice sort of um, giving some sort of character to animals mm-hmm. or some sort of intention to animals that they don't necessarily have. And I suppose 
one thing to always remember about the representations or the creations of our media is that they um, they are interpretations of the world. So there is a lens through which the producer, the cinematographer, and the narrator are viewing this footage or creating this footage, mm-hmm. and then that interpretation is then brought to the audience. And we can see this in, in films where you can clearly see certain documentaries have a clear agenda, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. rightly or wrongly. I mean, yep. I think there's a really good, good place for agenda-driven documentaries. Mm-hmm. Yep if there's things about climate change, we want people to sort of say, mm-hmm. like give the hard facts and mm-hmm. say what's really going on with climate change. But when it comes to presenting the lives of others, I think it's really important to remember that what we're seeing is often a in, an interpretation, a human interpretation. And in particular, so that's done through the way, the, the, even the scenes that you will capture and mm-hmm. that you will place in, in the final documentary. It's through, you know, choosing to shoot this footage versus that footage. Mm-hmm. Like for lions, for instance, often it's about chasing down the gazelle and showing the lion as a predator and as a killer. Mm-hmm. And we're putting certain um, narratives onto yes. these creatures. When, you know, if you, if you watch The General Day of a Lion, it would mostly be lazing about doing not a lot of anything. You know, <laughs> the, the amount of time they spend hunting and whatnot is probably a small amount of time compared to the rest of their mm. lives and the the social interactions they have with each other and all that sort of jazz. But what sells, what sells to humans mm-hmm. are these um, sort of specific bits and pieces that we find exciting and titillating. Mm. And I think... Um, when we watch representations of animals, it's important to always remember, no matter what medium it's coming from, there's an interpretation happening. And what is that interpretation? What's the intention of the um, producer, the cinematographer, the editor? What is their intention? What's the intention of the people who are putting this film out? What are they trying to get you to think? What's their motivation? Mm. All of that sort of stuff is really important when we're trying to... um, Consume media, I think, and I like this final, this or not this final. I don't think it's a final trend, but this trend that we're seeing recently with films like Cow or Gunda, the last that have come out in the last couple of years, because they they still have an interpretation. There is still someone mm-hmm. who is choosing which scenes to fit, which parts of the life to film, which scenes to include in the final documentary, mm-hmm. and also. Um, how to sort of put put it all, edit it all together. But one thing that they are um, stripping away and I think then allowing the audience to use their own interpretation is the narration. I think narration is always uh, strongly sort of human-centric and anthropocentric. Yes. yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Uh, and I, I, suppose, I suppose the other thing to remember about... Um, Consuming representations of animals in media is that we we are only like we are limited by our understanding of the world. Mm-hmm. We are limited by a human understanding of the world. We experience the world in a particular way that is um, defined by our um, our relationships and our senses. 
and that's how we understand the world. Animals have very different relationships and very different senses. So, you know, a dog who's um, kicking about doing lots of things. So we, we place a lot of value often, uh, certainly for people who are sighted, um, place a lot of value in visual cues and visuals. But for a dog, for instance, they might be um, interpreting a, a whole really complex layer of smells and olfactory cues, which helps them understand the world in a vastly different way to how we understand the world. So when we interpret what a dog's doing, we're not understanding that part mm-hmm. of their life. Mm-hmm. We aren't able to understand that part of their, their life because we don't have access to it. Yeah. Um, not even Not even that we don't have access to it sort of um, scientifically or rationally, but we don't even have a concept of it because we can't understand what it's like to smell the world in the way a dog smells the world. Yes. So what I suppose is always important to think about when we are when we're consuming media about animals is understanding that we are always going to be viewing it from a human-centric perspective and there's always going to be a layer of um, limitations that or barriers for us understanding what the animals are doing, but I don't think that's I don't think that's necessarily um, a bad thing. But it's just something to be aware of, and that yeah. we can still understand, I think, um, and interpret the meaning that an animal of of an animal's actions and its its life, I suppose. So, yeah, yeah, and, great point. I mean, in terms of the way we process information. In terms of heuristics, it's not surprising that we do that. We're taking in new information and we're comparing it to something that we already know or something that we've experienced ourselves. So, as you say, we can be aware. We just have to work a little bit harder because we can't relate to that experience. Mm. Anyway, should we start talking about some of the films? Yeah. Well, I think the first one um, we wanted to discuss is the documentary, um, the British documentary called Cow by Andrea Arnold. And this um, was released recently. I know last year it um, was one of the films at the Cannes Film Festival. And it was filmed over four years following the life of a cow called Luma. And for me, this was just a fascinating film, really almost sort of a study into Luma's life. You know, the camera lingers on her very closely, capturing her facial expressions, her bodily movements, Um, We see Luma's moments of suffering, her moments of joy. There are a few depicted Mm. in the film. You know, we see her frustration and she does headbutt the camera Mm -hmm. Um, and she does get frustrated with the farmer, you know. So we see all of that. Um, I found that absolutely fascinating and I don't think I've seen another representation of a cow um, in in that same way. Yeah. What, What were your thoughts? I agree. I think um, what was really striking to me is that, you know, there's been the the other film that um, comes to mind, we mentioned it earlier, uh, that's in a very similar vein is Gunda. Mm -hmm. And that's about Mm a a sow and her piglets. And the difference between Gunda and Cow is um, that Gunda is sort of on a free-range farm, I suppose you'd say, where the pigs are allowed to go out and forage and and do things. And it's a different um, setting, a very Mm. different setting to cow. And... um, and I can un- I can understand and and uh, it's not too hard for me to understand how someone gets permission to do a film like Gunda in a um, free range 
setting where the farmers probably have a particular ideology and mm-hmm. they they see what they're doing as maybe something good compared mm-hmm. to industry standards where where pigs are kept in small cages or small areas and mm. for yeah and treated atrociously um but cow cow was set in a you know a very standard dairy operation where yes. there's probably with permission, with permission. and mm-hmm. and this mm-hmm. yeah this, this mm-hmm. is what surprised me so much is that they got such they 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 had so much access mm-hmm. to sorry it was loom Lu, luma luma yeah, luma um, mm-hmm. they had so much access to luma's life over mm-hmm. i think it was four years was that's it? right and um i thought that that was quite amazing that they were able to be there and it sort of made me wonder <laughs> um what the farmers thinking about this film would be like and whether yeah i i, I when I watched, I was like, "There's, I, I only got one one interpretation out, but I am very biased about my um, when I'm when I'm seeing these things." And the interpretation was that this was a um, a horrendous way to treat Luma and all of um, her fellow cows, mm. uh, and it was quite a shocking film. But I just thought the access was incredible, um, and and I suppose. Like you say, some of the scenes with Luma and seeing her um, change throughout the film. I, I after I watched, I went and then read some discussions mm. with or some interviews with the um, filmmaker, and they talked about um, how they chose Luma. They, they apparently mm-hmm. they specifically chose Luma because um, she was identified as a strong-willed cow. You know, mm. that she had a strong personality and that one of the things that um, indicated this was that when her children or her calves were taken away, she she would get very upset mm-hmm. and that, that that trauma, that experience of her calves being taken, taken away, that trauma built up over time to become mm-hmm. more severe over the years. Mm. And that's something that the filmmaker um, talked about, that you, mm. you could see... The development and the um, the the level that that trauma was sort of ingrained within mm. Luma, and mm. you could see that when when scenes where she would um, after her her calf has been taken away, she'd see someone else's calf being um, sort of looked at and looked looked like it was being taken away, and she would try to protect that calf. She yes. would extend yes. her protection to yes. other calves. To um, yeah, it quite. Uh, quite a sad film. Um, very sad, very yeah. sad. And, you know, there were the scenes of Luma trying to get in between the farmer wanting to feed her calf mm. and her, her calf was taken away. And I think one of the most heartbreaking scenes for me was after the first calf that we see taken away. Now, we know she's had previous calves taken away from her. She approached the um, the feeding area Mm. with her other friends, but she wouldn't eat. Mm -hmm. And she very deliberately and gently rested her head on a cow standing next to her. Mm -hmm. And you could see clearly that sorrow and that suffering. Yeah. Um, That was just, yeah, just absolutely heartbreaking. Um, And any, you know, I'd, ask anyone to watch that and think that, you know, 
that maternal bond between a calf and a a cow and a calf is just like any other maternal Mm. bond. And it was just so heartbreaking. And knowing this has happened to her before and this is going to happen to her um, again was just awful. And the film, I think that's one of the um, nice things about this film and Gunda and uh, a few others that I think are out there now, um, that they they allow you to do the interpretation. Mm-hmm. So that's you right. you see that's right. you see something in Luma's behaviour. Someone else will see something in Luma's behaviour. Yeah. But you're not. We're not being sort of preached to or directed no. in no. regards to um, how to interpret that behaviour through mm-hmm. narration. It's mm-hmm. really allowing you, the audience, to like to see the behaviours, to see the context and the situation, and interpret it yourself, mm-hmm. rather mm-hmm. than you being told how to interpret. I think mm-hmm. that's a really different way of allowing people to um, engage with the stories of animals. Absolutely, absolutely, because it doesn't need anything from us. We just need to observe. We need to watch. We need to listen. Mm. We need to hear Luma's bellows. They, that right? was it was very very clear yeah her distress yeah. and her yearning to find her calf yeah. Mm. yeah 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 I was just going to go back to um the question of access when you mentioned that you were intrigued that um Andrew Arnold the, the filmmaker had access to to this farm over this period of time and you know I can't speak to those specific farmers and what their perspective um, might be but they the film captures, you know, the routine dairy practices up close and they're not specific to that farm. They're not specific to British dairy. This is a universal way that the dairy industry operates. So mm. we, we see up close the effects of repeated cycles of pregnancies and milking, selective breeding on the bodies of dairy cows, the mother-calf separation that we've spoken about, notching and dehorning. Mm, they showed that, yeah, that was quite for yeah. long. Yeah, and not to mention killing what are called spent cows, mm. yep. um, which I think is an abhorrent term, but once a cow has gone past their economic usefulness, yep. you know, their, their, life is, their life is ended. And those things are routine. Yep. They happen all across the world. So... I imagine that the farmers didn't necessarily have an issue with showing exactly what happens, you know, Mm. um, day to day. Yeah. I wonder if we should take a quick break there and we can come back and and chat about a few other things to do with cow. Yes. Um, This first song is called Doubt by The Tethers. The Tethers, which are a Melbourne man, but that's cool. That justice never just You take offense if I called you a friend But I save you the offense of another I must have been in such a 
Melbourne Jazz Jammers present the second Newport Jazz Festival. 60 plus bands, seven venues and three days of great music from some of Melbourne's finest musicians. 29th of April to 1st of May. Trad, swing, blues, big band, Latin, bossa, bebop and beyond. Tickets at the Newport Bowls Club box office in Market Street or online at melbournejazzjammers.com.au The Friendly Festival. The Newport Jazz Festival is a 3CR supporter. You're listening to Freedom of Species here on 3CR, 855 AM on your radio or wherever you get your podcasts online and all that sort of jazz. 3CR relies on our listeners and supporters to remain on the air, online and on point. Make sure you're part of of ensuring 3CR continues by subscribing today. And we are here with Caroline and um, we've been talking about representations of animals in film Mm -hmm. and documentary documentaries and um a recent sort of maybe it's not a trend quite yet but there's been a few films lately let's make it a trend yeah let's make it a trend absolutely that are that is trying to um have less human interpretation uh in the in the um presentation of animals so Mm -hmm. we've just talked about cow which is a film um which doesn't have any human narration in it uh and shows the life of a dairy cow in mm-hmm. a um in a standard sort of dairy farm in England mm-hmm. um there's other films I'll, I'll list a few others that are uh I think worth checking out if this is a is a area you're interested in there's one the an earlier one that I've found but I haven't been able to watch yet is called Nanette Mm-hmm. And that's of a um, a oh a bloody blanked. It's of a um, not a baboon, a g- 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 it starts with G. Oh, Gorilla. No, um, the other one. They got red fur and they are really wide. They're old, old. Age. Anyway, I've totally okay. blanked. But it's from a Nanette. Nanette, yeah, okay. it's it's of Nanette who is an a great ape in um, a zoo in mm. France, and they film um, Nanette in their enclosure, mm-hmm. and the there's no narration, but from what I've seen in the film clip, you can hear what the or what the um, the zoo participants are saying or the people who are visited the zoo visitors are saying and it's quite interesting to hear to sort of be a fly on the wall as Mm. people um, view Nanette in this very small cage or very small concrete sort of room Um, and yeah it's it's quite quite sad or it looks quite sad but that's one again that I think would be interesting Mm. and there's a couple that have come out of um, Istanbul Istanbul is a really interesting city and and I don't know a lot about this, but from what I can tell, I think that there's certain animals that have a right to the city and it's sort of baked into local laws there. For instance, cats and dogs who have been part of the Istanbul city for um, centuries mm-hmm. are, 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 are um, understood to be part of the community and part of the life of Istanbul city. And so um, they've, there's... There's like I'm not sure of its legal status, but there's sort of a um, cultural understanding that you don't interfere necessarily with the dogs or the cats or the strays, basically. Mm. And there's a there's a film about seven cats living in Istanbul called Keddie, and there's a film about um, 
like stray animals, quote unquote stray animals, um, which I think presents seven dogs as well oh, right. in Istanbul and the lives of seven dogs. And, you know, these these are wild individuals living in um, a uh, living with humans. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, cohabiting mm-hmm. this this space, and it's another set of films that I'm really interested in in checking mm-hmm. out. Um, and of course, there's right. My Octopus Teacher, I think, which is it does have narration and it, it does, certainly yeah. has a certain interpretation. Um, I've not yet seen it; I, I need to. Um, <laughs> but again, it, it's trying to present the animal, um, the animal, or maybe it's 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 centering, partly centering the animal's perspective. Yes, yes. So, should we talk a little bit about that one? Yeah. Okay. So, My Octopus Teacher is actually a Netflix original film. So, it was directed by Pippa Ehrlich and James Reed. And so, they document a year spent by um, the filmmaker Craig Foster as he forges a relationship with a octopus in, a, in South Africa, essentially. So, he started swimming... Um, free diving back in, I believe, 2010 off a remote location in False Bay near Cape Town, South Africa. And so he started to document his experience. And in time, he met a curious young octopus that captured his attention. So the film really shows his relationship and his growing, I guess, intimate relationship as he follows her and observes her for nearly a year. So they form... A, a sort of bond where the octopus allows um, him basically into her world, and he do- and she does play with him essentially. So, really, I guess mm-hmm. seeing an octopus in their natural environment and what their life is like was absolutely mesmerising for me. So, the octopus is called octopus or referred to as octopus in film. And, you know, she frequently has to defend herself against um, attacks by by sharks. So um, in one such attack, she loses an arm and she retreats to her den to recover. And she stays there for three months. And she slowly regenerates um, the arm over, over that time. And then in a later shark attack, she shows um, incredible creativity and will to survive by actually sticking on the shark's back, (laughs) which is amazing. Um, And look, it was just such a beautiful, gentle film. Um, Craig spoke so much about how she completely changed his life and, and and the life of his family, actually, that his son has become so touched by what his father has learnt and their relationship that he is actually um, pursuing a career as a marine biologist. But it was, you know, it, it, it's different in that, yes, there's, there's, a lot, there's the narration of Craig and what's happening in his life and how did he start deep diving, etc. But there's a lot of footage that just focuses on the octopus and what she does in her life, in her environment, and really her inviting him to be around her. Mm. And, and you know, there's some really playful footage where, you know, yes, she attaches herself to him and they, you can see that there is a relationship of sorts there. Mm-hmm. It was just stunning. So, yeah, I'd highly recommend watching that one yeah. as and well. It, it's really interesting, and you know, um, uh, from 
an ecological background, conservation background, environmental background, we sort of, and I think a lot of us do this um, day to day because we learn from those sorts of uh, those sorts of worlds. We think about animals as species, and we talk about mm. them as collectives, and we talk about them in broad ways, and we don't really understand what that means or what it does to how we think about them and how we. Mm-hmm. But every one of those individuals, like. Every cow at the slaughterhouse, every pig at the slaughterhouse, or every fish on the boat is an individual that had yeah. its own um, own desires about the world, had its mm-hmm. own interests, and it 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 wanted something out of life. Mm-hmm. Um, we mm-hmm. we can't ne- often we can't know what that is, mm-hmm. but um, it's still it's still true that they they had interests and desires and um, inner lives mm-hmm. that were for themselves, yes. that were were exclusive of humans. Like humans yes. don't necessarily need to be part of that. Yeah. Um, and it's, I think it's really uh, powerful to start thinking about other animals in that way, mm. that they're not just a collection of, oh, 3,000 pigs killed today. Mm. What does that mean? But mm. if it's 3,000... 3, of these individuals who mm. all have a little bit of a different personality and all have a life that they want to pursue and all have um, things that they, you know, they they might like going over and snuffling in the in the grass under the under the tree. The other ones like going and bathing in the in the puddle. You know, there's there's differences that these animals have, um, and each one is an individual. Mm. Like each one of us is someone who um, who matters and can't just be called a oh you're just a person and you're a uh, collectivize us in that way and they yes. therefore reduce our importance somehow yeah um, yeah and I, and I suppose another place and we haven't talked about this yet but maybe we can um another place that i think we're seeing a lot of this and why i th- and you know this is total speculation in terms of um our changing attitudes towards animals and i'm, I'm not saying this from any position of scientific evidence um, but I think that we see online both like particularly through social media and mediums like um, uh, TikTok or, mm-hmm. or and, and I think TikTok's a big one because it is short clips. We yeah. see so many, so much footage of animals and mm. people love footage of animals and animals mm. just doing things. And we didn't, yeah. I, I think that actually the, this sort of footage of seeing cats be really clumsy and silly mm. or dogs um, just being unique and, and interesting and weird and wonderful or birds or whatever, whoever mm. it is. Um, I think that we are, we are developing a new way of understanding animals and recognising that they are different, that each one is a different someone. Yes, um, yes. And, yeah, I wonder if there's there's some part of that that is influencing a a shift to a greater recognition of of animals in recent years i'm not sure i hope so i yeah. really hope so yeah should we talk a bit more about gunda yeah let's okay. do it and just so you know um i think uh davida and trev previously did a show speaking about gunda last year um the start of last year after after it came out and mm. um yeah, so certainly if you want a deeper dive into Gunda and different perspectives, check out um, Davida and Trev's show on that uh, early 2021, I believe. Okay, great. 
Segunda is a film um, by Victor Kosakovsky, um, and it's shot entirely in black and white. So there's no music and there's no narration, mm-hmm. which I think is really, really brilliant and really different. And and just on Cow, mm-hmm. there was music in Cow. Some of it was just what was happening in the sheds. Yes. So the humans yes. are in the sheds. They want music to listen to. So there's music coming through speakers. Yep. But then there was also some that was overlaid on top yes. and chosen by the director. So, yes. um, yeah, it's a bit different to Gunda in that way. Yes. And that was just incredible to me um, with Gunda. No music, no narration. So the film focuses on a sow called Gunda. And we also see um, some other animals, so a one-legged chicken and a group of cows. Um, We we see them as well. So for me, this was absolutely mesmerising to watch. I think perhaps it was the filming in black and white that you cannot take your eyes away from those animals and that there's no distraction. There was no distraction of music. So for me, it was only them. Mm. And I found that such a moving experience. Um, they're just absolutely beautiful scenes in the film of Gunda and one of her piglets catching raindrops in their mouths, you know. And so those little moments of, as you say, their own will, their moments of joy for them were so beautiful to watch. Um, also the cows running in slow motion in a field, living out their lives, I found absolutely wonderful. What were your thoughts, Adam? Yeah, I I really enjoyed Gunder as well, um, and some of the some of the scenes. I think it's probably a harder one to digest for a, for the way that we've been brought up to mm-hmm. and the, the films that we expect to see. Mm-hmm. It's very mm-hmm. different to yes. films that are made today. I suppose. Yes, it's a very different style. So it might not be for everyone. Um, they're really long scenes. You sit with yes. the animals uh, and you're with them for, you know, seven-minute scene of watching them um, walk around and snuffle through the grass and, and uproot or um, uproot um, plants and sort of push over logs and, and things like that. And I mm, think mm. they're really lovely scenes in that way you're getting them getting to see them do what they want in their day to day um another another a similarity with cow is that both cow and gunda are shot at the eye level of the main protagonist yes. so um in cow you're at the eye level of luma, luma? Mm-hmm. and in gunda you're at the eye level of gunda mm-hmm. um which i think is interesting so you're seeing the world sort of from their perspective. Mm-hmm. And actually, now that I think about Gunda, I wonder what um, what uh, colour pigs see. I wonder if mm. there's any... Because, you know, uh, d- different animals see different colour spectrums. Mm-hmm. I wonder whether pigs have a... I wonder if the film mimics the colour spectrum of pigs. I don't know that. I'm making that totally up. But I'd like to... Um, I'll, I'll look into that after the show because that would be cool if we were both at the level of the pig yeah. and also seeing the world, you know, not exactly how the pig sees, but mm. obviously um, in a colour scheme that the pig sees, but mm. it might be different. Um, yeah, but I really enjoyed Gundra. And I found... So in Gunda, you see a lot less of the people. I think there was there was one scene where you see the, the 
gumboots of the farmer mm-hmm. as they pull up in a truck. Mm-hmm. You see them step step out of the door, but you don't see anything except for their sort of legs, and they mm. walk behind the truck, and that's it. Mm. Um, for the rest of the film, there is not a human in sight. There's obviously lots of human structures, and they are in the context of humans mm. and of, of La Farm, but you don't see the humans. Um, whereas Cow is very different in that way, where we often see the humans. We mm. often see the farmers, and the farmers who are directly manipulating and controlling what the cows are doing. Um, mm. And I think again, it's it's a very it's a different setting. It's the free range setting versus the um, the intensive farming setting. Mm. Although there's not that much difference in in Let's certain be honest, ways. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, I thought that was that was interesting. And and on cow, in fact, the human presence I thought was um, quite striking because often the humans or the farmers were saying things like, it's okay, it's okay, come on, come on, come with me. And they were being really um, uh, placating Mm -hmm. of these animals that were in stress while in that moment and that instance creating a situation that is basically like creating incredible trauma. Yes. So while they're ripping yes. the baby away or pull it, or m- removing the baby, they're saying, it's okay, it's okay, don't worry yes. about that. Look over here, look over there. Yes. Don't, don't care about your baby. And it's a, yes. that was really um, quite uh, that juxtaposition yes. of the human's um, use of appeasement mm-hmm. versus their actions, I mm-hmm. thought was really quite striking in Cow. Mm-hmm. But we didn't see that in Gunda. Um, oh, the scene that sits with me, <coughs> sorry, the scene that sits with me in Gunda is a very long scene, and I'm sure you know which one it is, um, Caroline. And not to spoil it, but um, the 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 piglets or Gunda's piglets are taken away mm-hmm. at some point and uh, towards the end of the film, and we sit with Gunda in a single shot scene. Um, that first it shows the piglets running in and out of their little barn and enjoying life and mm. and like I think there was one that stops and and um, sniffs sniffs a, a flower and there's mm. another one where Gunda is actually um, shepherding them into the barn mm. and you can mm. see the interaction and the mm. care there. There's real care that Gunda has for her piglets. And then you hear this rumbling, this mm. big truck rumbles up, you see the wheels and you see this sort of very human um, cage yes. <laughs> and it backs into the, into the barn and you hear the, the, the driver gets out, they go, they open, there's some squealing and, some, mm. and whatnot and then the truck leaves mm. and you're, you're with Gunda then mm. and uh, she just starts sort of pacing and calling out and... You're, you, we, we sit with Gunda. I think I don't know the exact for, for amount of time. some minutes. It's like seven minutes or yes, something. Yes, You're sitting with yes. the stress. She's going into the barn. She's looking around, calling out. She's going out. She's mm-hmm. running up and down. She's looking for her piglets. Yeah. And you can see the trauma in yeah. real time. It's um, the same thing that we saw in, in Cow. Mm. It's mm. quite powerful. Yeah. And again, that maternal bond is across all species and that trauma for her 
yeah, it was really difficult to watch mm. and watch her search high and low. Yeah. And wonder what she's thinking. Yes. Mm. Yeah, it was hard. It's um, really hard. I think we this show has gone very quickly. I didn't think it would go <laughs> as quickly as it has. Shall we w- listen to one more song? Sure. And um, before we do that, I wanted to mention, so Nanette, which is spelt N-E-N-E-T-T-E, mm-hmm. Nanette, um, is the story of an orangutan. Oh, so, wonderful. Yeah, so okay, I'm sorry I blanked on that. That was so silly. <laughs> but um, yeah, definitely. That's I think I think I, uh, you can get it on YouTube. And I think okay. I'm going to try and um, watch it on YouTube. But this next song that we will be listening to is by William Elliot Whitmore on their album I'm With You, a, a recent album. Um, and it's called MK Ultra Blues. Back in 1953, we were riding high on victory. The Cold War's getting colder all the time. There's many ways to fight a war. It gets dirty more and more. The powers that be thinking outside the lines. So the boys down at the CIA getting curious one day, thinking of ways to get a leg up on the Reds. Through manipulation, experimentation, they thought they could save the nation by taking citizens and messing with their heads. Well, they rounded up some volunteers, but the volunteers had no idea they were about to be turned into laboratory rats. They were unwitting participants in the government experiments. They wouldn't be the same after that. They got those MK Ultra Blues, those MK Ultra Blues. Don't know what happens, guess we'll see when we give these soldiers LSD. Lock them in a room for a spell. Maybe they'll tell no lies Maybe they'll be hypnotized or Maybe they'll just think that they're in hell But the thing about mind control Is eventually takes its toll Can often have the opposite effect People don't like to be misled Especially if it's by the feds It's the type of thing that can make you lose respect Sometimes subjects came real easy In the door come old Ken Kesey Ready to see some universal truth He was flying over the cuckoo's nest Taking the Kool-Aid acid test I believe he was successful in his pursuit Don't want those MK-Ultra Blues Those MK-Ultra Blues People's minds were blown, other people's minds were shown that there's more to this here life than meets the eye. A peek behind the cosmic veil, visions from beyond the pale, a doorway to a different kind of life. 
So the drug they couldn't weaponize was a failure in some people's eyes, but was decidedly successful for some. What the CIA could not predict, people trying to get their kicks, taking LSD just for fun. It's a lesson to the powers that be Don't be messing with people's reality Making us forget who we are Well, psychological manipulation Is hard on a population People can only be pushed so far Don't want those MK-Ultra Blues Those MK-Ultra Blues Oh, those MK-Ultra Blues Those MKUltra Blues Do you have a few children's picture books or footy boots that your kids have outgrown but want to find them a loving home? Drop them in at 3CR and put them in the Books and Boots bin. Books and Boots regularly sends pre-loved children's picture books and sports footwear to remote and regional First Nations communities and children across the country. Contact us at Books and Boots or go to the website www.booksandboots.org.au We love a good book. You're listening to Freedom of Species, and we're bringing animal advocacy to the airwaves of 855 AM 3CR Radical Radio every weekend at 1 till 2, except for next Sunday, which is the 27th of March, and there is a Trans Day of Audibility from 12 till 7 PM. There's a um, specific program of, of or a day of programs that are all around um, trans trans topics. So absolutely listen in. It's going to be a fantastic day. Um, as we mentioned earlier in the show, Sally, who does Out of the Pan before us, a fantastic show. It's been running for ages mm-hmm. and one of yep. the one of the best shows on 3CR, I reckon, um, will be doing a special show. So yep. definitely tune in to Trans Day of Audibility next Sunday, 27th of March from 12pm. And I'm here with Caroline um, and we've been talking about representations of animals in mm-hmm. film and um, documentaries and the change in that. And mm. we're just going to wrap up now, I think. So. We are. We are. But a couple of little bits of news. So mm. I did want to mention to listeners that just this week um, we've seen the launch of a new national charity called the Australian Alliance for Animals. So that combines six of Australian, Australia's leading animal protection organisations who have a combined supporter base of over 2 million people. So they are pushing for an overhaul of Australia's outdated and ineffective animal welfare policies and legislative um, systems. And they will be pushing for reform, trying to hold decision makers to account and unify and strengthen the representation of animals. So this alliance um, is, as I said, a uniting um, new charity of six groups. And those groups are Animals Australia, Compassion in World Farming, Four Paws, Humane Society International, Voiceless, the Animal Protection Institute, and World Animal Protection Australia. 
So I'll be really interested to see Mm. what they do. Um, And this is a, you know, really interesting development for us to keep tabs on and watch. And maybe we'll get them on the show sometime. Yeah, that sounds great. (laughs) That that sounds like it could be a really fruitful um, collaboration through those orgs. Absolutely. Mm, Definitely need to keep keep an eye on that one. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to mention there is a... So Mount Gambier Wildlife Carer, which is a Facebook page, have a um, a free online pouch checking workshop, which is backed by popular demand. So they've done this in the past, and they've run a couple of um, a couple of sessions in the last week. But there's one more session on the 25th of March, which is this coming week, and you can check it out um, on their Facebook page. Go to Mount Gambia Wildlife Carer. Uh, so what it is, it's a short course running for about an hour and a half, and it will teach you how to correctly check pouches of com- common marsupials. And unfortunately in Australia, mm. you know, we need to do this because yes. we yes. have a lot of uh, marsupials mm-hmm. who die or are hit by cars on the side mm-hmm. of the roads. And if you see a, a dead kangaroo or a dead wallaby or any other type of um, Um, marsupial on the side of the road and you it looks like it's been recently hit even if the mother is dead there may be a um Mm -hmm. a young in the pouch a joey or a pup in the pouch so that pulling over stopping and checking to see whether the um the joey is still alive is a really positive thing to do Mm -hmm. it can be difficult can be a um a hard thing to do uh it's, it's quite a distressing situation for many um but really, really important if you've if you're able to do that. So check out the Mount Gambia mm. Wildlife Carer um, webpage. The they put a post up on the sixth of March, and you can um, find their event on the twenty fifth of March. That's a pouch checking workshop, free online, twenty fifth of March, um, and you can uh, register to the event on Eventbrite as well. But okay. you'll find all the links there. And I might um, try it. We'll, we'll put this up with the um, yeah. with the show. That's um, fantastic. Knowing what to do is important and who the, who you can contact as well Yeah, at the uh, time. That's brilliant. Absolutely. Really important stuff. Um, and we are at the end of, of the show. Yeah. So thank you very much again, folks. Um, Thracia, as always, it's got um, plenty of different it's a it's a fantastic community. It's a diverse community with lots of different shows from community language, workers' perspectives, LGBTQIA plus communities, um, people with disability, animals, lots of different stuff. There's tons of music stations. There's tons of um, specific language stations, and listen. Listen to us. And if you can subscribe, please subscribe. This, yeah. is, this is how we keep radical radio on the airwaves, which yeah. is really, really important. And hear local perspectives um, and voices that you wouldn't usually hear on places like the ABC or other um, big stations. So we will see you and listen to you and talk to you next time, which is not next week because remember, 27. Trans Day of Audibility Next Sunday, check that out. Um, We'll be back in two weeks' time. And we will talk to you all then. Get your copy of 3CR's magnificent book. It's a stunning history of the people, programs and issues. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.